Welcome to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, September 3rd. Welcome, September. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage, and in some cases, start conversations. We don't do prayers or buffalo speeches. 
We take a tough look at our history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here from the Seneca Nation, from the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. Uh, so let's talk native. native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams at www.letstalknative.com. We stream video of the show on Facebook Live, on our Facebook group pages. And we take the uh, um, the audio and we put it up on SoundCloud after the broadcast. And we take the video and we put it up on YouTube, on the YouTube channel that we have, which is Let's Talk Native TV. Um, I'm going to come right out of the gate here and say, look, we're still experiencing some some Internet issues. We think we're on top of it, but we're not quite there yet. So hopefully we're not. Hope we don't lose too many of you that are, are trying to catch us, um, at least on Facebook. Um, the audio should be fine, but uh, the video may still be a bit choppy until we put it up on face, on our uh, YouTube channel. All right. Um, hey, look, I'm the uh, the host and producer, and I'm joined in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our video and our sound. Um, all right. I asked the question: Who owns the land? And yeah, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna answer the question, you know, or, or give the answer right off the bat, or an answer. I'm. I'm gonna tell a little bit of a story. A story I heard told by somebody else um, uh, one time at a meeting. Um, and this this guy's from Makwasasni, and he told a story. Uh, and and I, let me frame it up a little bit. Our concept of land ownership, uh, in the way that Europeans took it, was something that was different um in fact ownership wasn't necessarily the the way we framed it we framed about who the land was for and that and that kind of thing and we didn't it wasn't a possession much of our lives were uh we lived uh, more in in sync with nature and it was less about um ownership of land protecting a territory like like much of wildlife will do yeah that, that was a part of what we did but but land ownership was it was a we held the whole concept differently. So here's the, um, when these cultures clash and this idea of owning land or owning a piece of paper that says you own land or whatever else, um, we began to, to formulate a better way to express that. So here's the story. Story is a, is a white man rides up, uh, up to a native territory and, um, of course, comes upon a few native people and, and, and sees the oldest person, oldest man, of course, and he assumes, oh, that's got to be the chief. So he goes up and he says, hey, chief, I'd like to, uh, I really like your land here. And I, I'd really be interested in, in some of it. Um, I'd like to talk to the landowners. And so the, the older man, chief or no chief, um, said, well, the... Uh, Landowners aren't here, and so the 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 white man says, "Well, when will they be back, or when will they be here?" And the older native man says, um, "Let me think." And he looks off the side and he sees there's a there's a group of uh, young women that are uh, working on a task, and and he he looks at the at the one young woman who's obviously got a little bit of a baby bump going on turns back to the white man he says about five months and he says so the landowner isn't going to be here for five months yeah five months 
So the white man rides away. And then he um, comes back about five months later, six months later. And and looks for the, looks for the same man. He says, hey, 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 remember you told me that the uh, uh, the landowner would be back. Uh, it should have been back about a month ago. Uh, so are the is our landowners here? And the older man says, uh, no, they're not here. And he's, and he's, and he says, well, when will they be back? When, when will they be here? And he looks over and, 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 uh, same group, group of women. This time there's a little baby there. The one is attending to, they're all kind of cooing over the baby. And, 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 uh, one of the other women, young women has a, has a, you can see she's with, with child. He says, oh, three months. And so he says, three months. He says, all right, all right, I'll be back. So this story kind of repeats itself over and over again. And every time th- this gentleman shows up, he's given the same story that the landowner's not there and that they're, you know, that, that they, and, and so he doesn't understand. So, and here's the story. The story is in our culture, we look at the land as something that is for the future. We, we say that the landowners are the unborn. That once we, once we are born, we immediately become the caretakers of the land for the, for the future generations. And this isn't just restricted just to people. It's the same thing that, that, the, the same view we have about the, the animals and, and the rest of creation. That the land itself, the world itself, we, once we're here, we're only temporary. That the land is for the future. For the future generations of, of people, of the the deer, the you know the fox, the wolf, all those animals we represent with our with our clans. That's it's those future generations that the land is for. The land is always for the future. So when we talk about land ownership, I mean, and it's not a. I mean, it it may sound like a a, a bit of a bizarre concept, but think about it. There was a time that people would try to claim land that they would build their families on and, and they would and they would hold that land for the future. And of course, that was at a time when people would, would care for the land a little bit more. But as the shift, and, and, and it is a shift. I mean, although we could argue that, you know, the, the colonies and imperialism was born out of capitalism and born out of exploitation and that kind of stuff. But it was also born out of uh, of people trying to be very, very opportunistic at the cost of other people. In our case, the cost of us. But the idea of destroying land was not part of the original concept. I mean, I think everybody thought that nature had this, you know, this it knew no bounds in terms of what it what it could supply with trees, with, with livestock, with the, the beaver wars, the fishing the seas. That nature always was going to have a plenty there. In our culture, we always had a sense that no, we we need to have, we need to know our place in nature, and we need to flow and live in harmony. Now, I'm not saying that you know that native people lived uh, you know this perfect utopian life, but some of these basic concepts, and and of course the, the whole idea when I say that the land is for the future, it's for uh, the the land owners are the unborn. It's for the it's for those faces that that will come later. That's that's totally in keeping with the with the concept of seven generations. Again, for those of you who, who 
think you understand or don't understand, but maybe need it explained. Seven generations isn't just this idea that we have this prophetic or, or this, these prophecies that seven generations from now there's going to be, you know, what, a second coming of uh, the Gunawida or, or Jesus or whatever else. I mean, no, that's not what seven generations in our culture is about. We don't talk about the seventh generation as as some, you know, prophetic or, you know, or so uh, some fulfillment of prophecy. No, that's not what, that's the idea of the seven generations is that we need to have a responsibility, not just for those for that baby bump that's going to come see us in, in 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 three months, but for the children we will never see, for those unborn faces, not just the ones that we will see soon, not just our our kids or our grandkids or our great grandkids. But you start, I mean, and you can see, and and I've had family reunions, I've had you know gatherings with with uh, my wife's family in particular, where, where where we had five generations of women. And we always used to take a picture, take a picture, so we get a, a photo of five generations of uh, of women. We never got one of six, and seven would be virtually impossible. And and so this is the idea. The idea is that is to have a responsibility to our family, our descendants, our you know again, our great 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 grandchildren, having a re- responsibility to those our family that we will never see. Because at some point, it all becomes family. So we have to have a, a responsibility to the future. And it's not just about do no harm. It's that. It is that. But it's not just that. It's about making sure that even the things that don't look like they would have a direct harm that might have a long, long-term damage or long-term harm, we, th- we take all that stuff into consideration. That goes against every capitalist principle. I mean, every every principle associated with with business as uh, as it's known today in the in the global economy, it's return on investment. What do you do? You know, you, if you're going to buy land, how do you make that land crank out money? So whether you take it out in timber, whether you take it out in logging and uh, and and water rights, take it out in gravel or stone or mineral or or drilling for oil, you make that land produce money with no regard. For how long it'll produce? Because, look, you only need to get your money back and make something. That's a completely different concept. And of course, in the the case of uh, of a country like the United States, they always felt like, well, we'll just grab more land, and that's the whole idea of imperialism. Because if you get all the money out of your land, then you obviously have to get more land. So you take you you take more. You you take all the, the the lands i mean and again we can go right to, <laughs> I, I i keep bringing this up and i think at some point more people are going to grab onto this thing you look at the the language in the declaration of independence everybody say, he wants to say well the reason that the colonies uh, declared uh, their independence which essentially was declaring war was because they were being taxed it was taxation without representation bullshit the reason the wealthy colonial aristocracy wanted to separate from England was because England was saying look we can only we we want to work together with forming a um a, a, a you know a, a new nation there I'm not look I'm not I'm not going to blow a bunch of smoke up their ass either but England basically said look we're not going to go in there and take a bunch of native land we don't need that kind of headache so England was already taking a position 
moving away from the the ethical and um, moral morality of, of um, uh, slavery, and at the same time, is saying we're not going to you know go to war with ever. We don't even know how many native people there are, so we better be careful what we wish for. We're better off working out working relationships. In fact, it's worked out pretty good so far. The native people helped us push back against France and uh, in in Canada and 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 other places. The native people have have been good allies, and that was the view that uh, that England had. Well, the colonies didn't want to have any of it. In one of their complaints, and I don't have it here in front of me. In one of their facts submitted to a candid world, they talked about the fact that that the the king was not allowing them to bring more immigrants in. Now, again, when you're talking about immigrants, I mean, it sounds like, well, look at that. Um, they, were, they were trying to stop immigration. You know, the king was trying to stop immigration way back then. You have to understand, when the colonies are saying immigrants, what they're talking about is bringing in more Europeans to displace the population of Native people. In that same complaint about immigration, they said, the king was also preventing them from appropriating more lands. Well, who the hell do you think they were appropriating it from? Because that's the model. The model was to grab land, fill it up with white people, move out the native people, kill them if you have to. And that's not the concept that we had towards land. Land was something that, if anything, owned us more than we owned it. If you want to put it into this whole idea about, you know, uh, Who's, who's living off of who, so to speak. But again, seven generations, this idea that, that, the, that, the, that the, the land belongs to the unborn, to the future, not to people to take now. And of course, the, the other issue ends up being, what, when, you, when you claim to own the land, what does that mean? Does that mean you have the right to do, to do with whatever you want to do with it? You, you can slash and burn, you can... You can tear up a mountaintop. You can dam a river. You can do. You, you can um, pollute the land. You can pollute the, the air and the water uh, around it. I mean, you can do all that stuff because that's what the idea of land ownership became under under the European model. But see, that wasn't our concept. Our concept was based on having a relationship and having responsibility to it. I mean, we we oftentimes look to our women. In the same way that you know other, uh, you know other life on the planet, you know the the mothers and the, and the way they care for the for the young, and the way that they become bound a little bit more bound to the land, even than the men do. Men have a you know they have a tendency to to wander. I don't mean wander in terms of promiscuity. I'm just talking about you know that's what we we call the son the 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 ultimate warrior because he our eldest brother. Because he travels the he, he travels the earth from east to west every uh, every day, and it's and it's a metaphor. I mean, we know the the sun is is what the sun is. We know what it is. But the, but the women have a certain responsibility. Not only do they are they the ones who carry the unborn until they're born. So we place a certain responsibility with the women in particular. In in again in our culture, and we we say the women are the are the title holders. And and that sometimes gets you know has different meanings to different people. The title holders mean that they they hold the the wampums right for the uh, uh, for the forty nine families. They hold those titles, and that's how and they have a responsibility in, uh, in putting up uh, um, their one of their 
their sons, not their literally their their biological sons, but one of the the men of their of their clan to to uh, to serve a, a specific role with that that title. So there's that there's that. But but when this idea of land title became an issue, we were very clear that our women are the ones vested with the title of the the land for again for the unborn. And and of course, you know, the the male dominant culture that came from from Europe gave no such you know, um reverence or no such uh uh deference to uh to women. And women were tre- women themselves were treated as property. Just like, you know, uh like the land was. So, we we have these conversations. I mean, it doesn't I mean, look, this isn't tell I'm not telling everybody to take their deeds and burn them or anything else. If you can just formulate a different view, I mean, if you do have title to a land, if you have someone, a white man's paper to a land, whether, you know, frankly, here I live, I live on the Cattaraugus territory of Seneca Nation. The Seneca Nation issues deeds. It's still kind of a white man's concept. But again, these aren't state deeds, they aren't federal deeds. But if, but if you have the, the good fortune to have some legal claim <laughs> to say this land, is in your family now not just yours but but that you have the opportunity to to care for that land for the future generations now it doesn't i mean you could say well it's only your future generations but you know what eventually those generations that our future you know our our heirs they 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 mingle they come they intermarry and they you know and, and there's there's so when you say it's for the future and it's for your heirs it's for the heirs of everybody so if we begin to understand this and we begin this whole idea of understanding, yeah, we need to, um, we need to, to make sure that the land, especially native lands, because it, let's face it, we, uh, we've had our lands, um, diminish so significantly, you know, from, from what the white man viewed as, as, as lands that we occupied. We occupy a much smaller, smaller space and our, and our populations are smaller. But our populations are growing, so we need to be we need to be extra vigilant about caring for our land. And and again, contamination. We and that's why we have to hold um, the white men accountable for what they do to our water, to our you know to our air, and to our land. I mean, when I when I talk about our the concern that we should have for <clears throat> for the hazardous materials that travel on the thruway or on U.S. Route five and twenty or eighty six or on the on the the rails that cross through native territories, and the Seneca Nation has all that right here. There's pipelines that go through. There should be real vigilance, and at some point there should be uh, a conversation on what you do to mitigate the risks of some of these hazardous materials. Bomb trains. There you go. You take a look at what happened up in Quebec, at Lac Megantec, when when a bomb train derailed and literally destroyed a town. The bomb, the the, the trains that carry this Bakken crew that went across the Seneca territory, literally are on are, are almost on the water waterfront. They they literally separate the rest of Seneca territory from from the lake, from 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 Lake Erie. So. If there was to be some calamity with with one of these bomb trains, it not only would damage. I mean, it, it also runs right by the bingo hall, 
<laughs> it crosses uh you know a couple of uh, you know route five i mean th- and then it runs right along the lake and it has the potential to to not only destroy land but to but to contaminate water that's not i mean, look that's not having an eye on the future generations seven generations or any or any future generations that is that right there folks that's folks that's people trying to make money today the whole idea of you know uh doing this hydrofracking for natural gas and for uh for oil it's about trying to get every dollar i mean literally it comes to the place where where there are, the view is that there's money under the ground i mean there's literally money under the ground in the form of natural gas in the form of oil perhaps in coal or other uh, valuable minerals and if that's the way you view the land, if you don't view the land as supporting life, but rather than su- supporting finances, that's how we end up with, with the, the Amazon being set, set afire. That's how it happens. That's how we get to that place. That's how we get to the place where we, we become derelict in our responsibilities to maintain and to ensure that that land is protected for the future generations. Okay, we're at the bottom there. We'll, we'll take a break and uh, we'll, we'll come back and we'll we'll get into it a little bit more. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll be right back after this.
Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Hey, I, before I get back into it, I want to thank my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE Family of Businesses. I want to thank Eric White and ERW Enterprises. And uh, there's a couple of you, you out there who remain anonymous, but I thank you just the same. Um, look, and I also want to thank those people who've, uh, who've supported the show in the past. We're in our 10th year of Let's Talk Native, and we wouldn't be here if we didn't have a lot of help along the way. While I greatly appreciate those who are currently supporting the program, uh, supporting what we do here. I, I, I can't ignore the fact that we've, we've had many people along the way that, uh, that have supported, uh, supported my doing this show, especially when we're on commercial radio. So uh, I want to thank all of you. I also want to thank um, those of you who share the show, whether you share, uh, as my wife does, uh, the, the Facebook live stream on uh, various group pages, or whether you share the, the podcast, and we do a podcast so you can, um, you can subscribe to that and make sure you share the, the, the audio of the show that way. And of course we have our YouTube channel, which is let's talk native TV. And that's a way that you can not only share this program, but the program that I do in New York city as well, uh, as well as the, the short form videos that we do. And there's a number of those that we've done over the years that, uh, that address a variety of topics. Uh, some of what we, we talk about here on, uh, you know, on a twice a week basis, I guess. All right, let me get back into it. But, uh, you know, in the last program, I talked about uh, the kids going back to school. And actually, I think uh, tomorrow or the next day is the first day of school. So we're, we're coming right up on day one. And I got, uh, I know many kids have started school already, especially farther down south. Um, I, I've got two grandkids who live in Pennsylvania, and they started school already. But, but many kids are starting either tomorrow or the next day, uh, their fa- first day of school. And, and I talked about the responsibility that we have as Native people, who um, can share some of the, the, the knowledge that we, we've gained over the years and tell some of the stories and explain some of the true facts of history that, that are either left out of our kids' education. You know, so it's almost lies by omission. So there's that. And then there's, then there's some of the stuff that's just blatantly wrong. But there's also a lot that we can't expect them to teach our kids. So when we talk about things like, like who owns land, this whole land issue is, uh, is something that we should we should explain and and if we're the ones explaining it then we're not gonna have somebody say well yeah you know white people came in to claim land because native people said they didn't own it no that's not exactly true and and you know so with the whole idea that under the so-called doctrine of christian discovery that that the church could say well native people don't own land they just live there they they actually took 
a concept and they and they try to dehumanize us to, and to put us at the same level that they the way they look down upon uh, other creatures of the earth uh, we're just we just live there like the animals that we don't have a sense of land title we don't have a sense of ownership and so we don't own it so only the christian nations of europe could own of course that's absurd but you know nobody teaches this to our kids in school so we need to under, uh, to explain no there is a real logic and a, and a real advanced understanding about our place in the world with the way that we viewed things like land ownership. No, it wasn't that we were primitive or too ignorant or too or or you know uncivilized um, to understand the the, the value of uh, of land. We absolutely understood the value, and that's why we understood that owning it was a way to really devalue land. Not value it if you only put valuation on land based on dollars and cents not on the fact that land can have a benefit forever but if you don't plan if you don't look at yourself as part of a continuum with your past and your and your future so your ancestors are behind you and your and your and those faces those unborn faces ahead of you that's what ongwe ongwe is right that's what ongwe ongwe is that's why White men are not ungwe ungwe. Because the second they start looking at land as something they can put a dollar value on, the second they look at land as something that they can just pillage and take and take value out of. See, this gets this really does get to that to the back to the issue about the things that we should be teaching our children. Now, and one of the things I did did leave out of the last conversation about about this was Look, the histories, the clash of our history and U.S. history is um, uh, is not very pleasant. It, it is, you know, it's it's an ugly um, history, and and I'm not just going to say from time to time. The vast majority of the of our, of our interaction of the culture clash between Native people and um, and the colonials, the settler colonialism, um, is ugly. Um, there's everything from rape and murder and you know disfigurement, you know scalping, um, torture. Uh, uh, again, when I when I listen to the 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 progressive you know uh, howl about kids in cages, you know at the border, yeah, that's a terrible thing. And and why do I say it's a terrible thing? Because our people went through that. Our kids were family separation. That's a hallmark of the United States. When I hear somebody say, oh, it's so un-American. No, it isn't. It's very American. But the reason I'm bringing some of this up is we do have to have age-appropriate conversations with our kids. And it's not because our kids can't handle it, but I think, you know, I think you have to, you know, when you think about how violent the the interaction was between, you know, between white people and Native people and white people and black people, the idea of lynching people, the idea of selling children, and that kind of stuff. I mean, and again, let's not forget, Native people were the first slaves that um, uh, the the first slaves to be put on a boat on the transatlantic slave trade were Native people being uh, whisked back to Spain, and not just for labor, because they brought young girls because they knew that they would they would sell well in Europe as sex slaves. That was that's that's Columbus's legacy. So. We have to have age-appropriate conversations. I mean, you know, because there was so much of a rape culture associated with Europeans that came here. And not just here, every place they went. 
I mean, again, if you look at um, Captain Cook's journals when he was traveling through the Pacific, he literally wrote in his journal about coming upon Hawaii, his concern about the um, venereal diseases that his men carried and how much death and destruction it would cause to the to the, the people of Hawaii if his men were to go ashore. And they did. They do, they'd go ashore. And, and again, many people... When it, it's funny, when they talk about the disease that Native people um, died from and succumbed to, and they, and they always say, oh, it was influenza, smallpox. No. The, the most immediate disease that, that had a, a, a staggering effect on our people were venereal diseases. These guys were pigs that showed up. I'm going to tell you, let's not I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. I mean, everybody thinks that oh, Columbus was this pious, uh, you know, brave navigator, explorer, you know, who was doing the work of the church. Look, he had made, the church made giving him cover, but these guys are scumbags. I mean, again, he was giving little girls to pay. That's how he was paying his men. So, look, so when we when we tell this history to our kids. There is a certain age appropriateness to it. I mean, it's funny because Jake and I were talking on the way here. I don't know what age we become fully aware of things like violent crime. And to the point where we, we really need to understand it and, and put it into our, in, into our decision making, our, our fight or flight, you know, uh, responses, all that stuff. I don't know what age that is. But I, certainly, if you have to consider what that the, the age appropriateness of that, now you mix in things like you know massacres and mutilations and you know uh, you know sexual abuse and sexual abuse not just from the rape culture of the uh, of the the uh, the imperial ages, but even through the ages of assimilation, the, these uh, residential schools, the amount of physical, psychological, and sexual abuse that took place there. You know, I, I argue that you know when people seems so aghast that the, that the Catholic Church has been mired in these in this controversy I some of the first sexual deviancy that clergy um, were had become connected to was for residential schools and not just here I mean this was happening all over the world I mean and it wasn't just when I say clergy it isn't just priests it was nuns too I mean there's a why is there a connection between these people who, who commit themselves to the so-called celibacy of, of the church and yet rape little boys and little girls? I, you know, whether it isn't just about sexual repression. It, it goes beyond that. I mean, it must say something about the people who choose that way of life. I don't know. But when they, uh, the idea that people seem to be, you know, oh, how could, that's such a violation. And, and, you know, like, there's a, like they're thunderstruck that this happened. Well, if you asked Native people a hundred years ago, they'd have told you what was happening with the, with the, with church and clergy running these residential schools. And, and of course, although we do need to have age appropriate conversations with our kids, we we can't pull the punches to the point where we don't explain what the real dangers are and why we still carry some of that historical trauma. So uh, again, schools back in session. And I, so I do want to remind people that uh, that we have work to do. We have to, um, we've got to backfill the omissions. We've got to correct the uh, the mischaracterizations and the outright lies. 
Um, and we, you know, I, I, we need to frame. We need to help our kids have a frame of reference as they're dealing with everything from 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 sports to the the, the STEM uh, courses, the you know the the the, the math and um, sciences, all that stuff. We need to have some conversations so so we can frame some of their 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 references. This is um. We are not an inferior people. We've been, um, I mean, that's what's been preached to. You know, that's that's what we were told, right? We were told that we were we were primitive, <clears throat> and you know, it looks. I think some people buy into it, and uh, because we don't have the same view of what they call civilization, we have a different view. So. We need to explain even to our to our children that we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed of of, uh, of having a different view of the humanity, the study of human beings, and the relationship that human beings have to the, to creation. That there's nothing to be ashamed of if we view our place on the on on the on this earth as not as the the lords of the of the planet not as the um the those that should be subduing all of the creatures of the earth as they say in in Genesis in the Bible no our 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 place isn't to subdue the creatures of the earth it's to live with them and you know and this gets back to the you know to the original topic about uh, about who owns the land the land is supporting all of us only man has this destructive nature. I mean, and I, I'm not just talking about the mass destruction of war, but the, even the way we exploit animals. So you think about the way, I mean, the, our consumption. Think about the way animals are bred and and uh, and raised for food. I mean, it's incredible. Pumped up with steroids and antibiotics so they can get more bulk out of them. You know, man is the only creature on the earth that that harvests the milk of another uh, of another creature for their consumption and and they do it in such a way that it that it, i mean it's, it's mind boggling i mean when you think about how much livestock is raised for meat and milk so when i say livestock that means how ma- how many fields of corn and 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 grains are 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 raised for for meat and milk I mean, it's kind of bizarre. We don't raise food. I mean, and look, it doesn't take a, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Although there's plenty of um, agroscience that has gone into understanding that we can get a better yield for for our the needed proteins in our diet from plant proteins than we can from animal proteins. But you see, this is some of the stuff that uh, you know. Again, there's some phenomenal um, accomplishments that native people made. And not I'm not saying a specific native person because that's not our way. I mean, here's here's a simple um uh, a, a simple thing that that I was actually blown away with. And so you want to talk about sciences, right? You know, you think well what what can native people contribute to science? And and there's plenty. But as much as we we um frame the whole story of where um roast corn comes from and and how we managed to take corn that was meant to be destroyed by Washington's men or the French before them for that matter and and we managed to 
you know utilize the fact that they tried to scorch and uh, burn all our food to use use uh, to to break the hulls and 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 consume the corn as roast corn. But the idea of washing corn with ash, this is, I was fascinated with. This. I went to I went to a um, listen to Jane Mont Pleasant from Cornell. She's Tuscarora, and she uh, she was speaking. Um, I think it was at Canisius College, and she talked about the corn diet, the white corn diet by itself. Left would would leave a population with some significant um, vitamin deficiencies. However, because one of the ways that we we preserved corn, or, 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 and we processed corn, was to wash it with with ash. We wash it with the with ashes. Um, because it, it served as a lie, a caustic lie, to break down the hulls, so we could separate the hulls and the corn from the hulls, and then we, you know, that would dry be dried for flour or cornmeal or or whatever. The interesting thing is, and we could argue whether our people would have any way of knowing this, but the interesting thing is that 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 wood ash actually infused the corn with certain B uh, B vitamin complexes that the corn didn't have by itself. So the very way that we process the food enriched the food. I mean, in modern society, we don't think twice about about food being enriched artificially with uh, with, with various chemicals or whatever. But the idea that for perhaps for perhaps thousands of years, our people utilized a process of processing corn that actually enriched it and, and gave it more uh, made it more wholesome and more nutritious to us. I mean, that's that's fascinating and and Frank's that's science. The the whole idea that we you know the the way we we utilize the, the chemicals of uh, uh, of wood ash to process food, just just like the way we would use wood ash and uh, and brain to uh, to tan leather and that kind of stuff. There there's some science in, involved in this stuff, and there's no reason our people can't uh, our 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 young people shouldn't be taught this. Not that they've got to necessarily do it, but you know what? I you know I've talked about this before. You know, one of the things um, that connects us to the land more than anything else is understanding how much the land can yield, um, not just for us, but how much it can sustain us. So when we're talking about survival skills, basic survival skills, I, I mean, in, in what would be the rites of passage for, for both, you know, boys and girls, men, young men and young women, it would, it would involve spending some significant time uh, being really exposed to to nature, almost uh, uh, you know, it, without having the protection of everybody around you. But you realize that that's not necessarily a dangerous thing. There, it, it 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 creates a bond between people and the land, between people and the rest of creation. Our young people, if we don't do something along those lines. We will continue to perpetuate this idea that land is is only something that you take and you profit from, not necessarily understand the relationship between uh, ourselves and land as as something that is symbiotic, so to speak. That we give something back. I mean, our our farming techniques. I mean, there were if you compared the yields that we were getting from mound farming versus what Europe at the same time was getting from tilling the soil. Turning the soil over, which over oxygenated and depleted the soil at a much, uh, they, they had to rotate crops all the time, and they would act, they would 
they would see the yields decrease over time until they come up with the idea of fertilizing. Fertilizing first with um, with animal waste. Now what do they do? Now they just pump the land full of chemicals. And, and, and again, it's about trying to get all the money out of the land. Utilizing every you know every acre you can to to produce dollars, and as long as that's going to be the predominant way the land is viewed by the dominant culture, it makes it even that much more important that we begin to to return. I guess not begin, but I guess return to having a better relationship with um, between us and the land and creation. And I know it, it sounds. This isn't a new age concept. It really isn't. And this isn't something that I'm trying to put out there as some touchy-feely feel-good stuff. No, this this is, again, talk about survival. I say it in my opening. We talk about survival. Survival, our survival, and the survival of, of any creature is really contingent on our ability to adapt to adapt not just to environment but to environmental forces and i'll tell you mankind is is a force and it may not be a natural force i mean it may seem like the most unnatural force of all but it's still something we we have to figure out how we navigate a world that is being placed in peril for a dollar i mean we talk about the burning amazon the the Congolese uh, rainforests, uh, those fires are even bigger. There's the boreal forests of uh, of Russia and Canada. There are uh, there are fires happening everywhere, and and so why were some of the boreal forests eliminated in Canada? So they could dig the ground up underneath for tar sands oil. So these again, these are some of the the things that that we have to do a better job teaching. And it really does come down to this to this issue about how we view ourselves and our relationship to to the land that we live on. And again, when we call ourselves Ungwe Ungwe, and we say that I mean there are a lot of loose translations for what Ungwe Ungwe means. Real, original, true. But in our in our in our culture, what we say is you cannot be a real human being. If you don't have an ancestral connection to where you live, a tie to the land, if you don't have that connection to to where you live, then then there's something that's been severed. I mean, that, that's why in our in our medicine pouches we used to carry that uh, we used to put uh, the the umbilical cord in there. You know, the parents or grandparents would save that, and that would be something that would go in the medicine pouch. Why? Because it shows about your connection. And you know what else will go in the medicine pouch? The very the very earth that we walk on. Because that connection to your mother and the connection to the soil of your, of your mother and, and yourself, that's what makes you unguinwe, real human being. Because if you can just up and leave and disregard, you know, thousands of years of your ancestry, Understanding that relationship. Look, there's been 200 years of, of, of mass disruption in our own cultural understanding of, of many of these concepts. We actually probably know, we have more opportunity to, to teach now than 
probably the last three or four generations, maybe even back farther than that. I mean, if you look at some of our uh, our more recent history, see, it's funny when they when they teach these Iroquois study courses in school, they teach they say, "Well, this is how the Iroquois lived," and they and they teach it as if it was two hundred years ago. You know, in the fifties and the sixties, even the Haudenosaunee, who some people you know admire because of, uh, because of our continuity, right? Our guys were throwing Plains Indian headdresses on. So when we complain about people mischaracterizing uh, Native people because they don't understand that that you know that there's no Pan Indian view, we got sucked into the same Hollywood concepts. Native, again, Haudenosaunee people. Wearing Plains Indian headdresses, not gustoas, not not what we know today. My um um much of my family from Gunawake, um, lived in New York. I mean, they they had a, a community in New York because of the, the high steel work that the men did out of the you know coming out of the fifties, sixties, seventies. They had an area in Brooklyn they used to call it Little Cognawaga. If you see some of the ancient pictures, the the all those old pictures when they used to gather. Look, they're wearing cheesy, cheesy mock headdresses. So, and and again, I'm I'm not trying to poke fun at them, because our culture had been so disrupted. The things that we taught, our understanding, our relationship again to to land, to our to our ancestors, but we built, we've gotten it back. We we've we've learned an immense amount. We've we've made sure that. The, the messages that were encoded in our language were taught. The language is, is, is still solid. But we know more history today. You know, it's like the Hawaiians. For, for you know, decades, the Hawaiians were led to believe that, they, that their land was illegally annexed by the United States. It wasn't until back when we were, when the real push for sovereignty during the 70s, the, you know, uh, the sovereignty movement of Native people, that the Hawaiians became aware of their own. But we can go through decades where we've been lied to and we and we buy into those lies. So this is why teaching our children, teaching and teaching other adults for that matter. But some of this stuff can start at the most basic and core levels of understanding. Not just about our relationship with each other, but the relationship with where we live, the land that we live on. So, who owns the land? The future. We're all just here temporarily. So keep that in mind as we go forward. I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, again, uh, if you want to watch the, the video in the in its best form, uh, look for it tomorrow on uh, on YouTube. We'll post it up on our YouTube channel. And uh, I look forward to your comments and your uh, your thoughts on, on the subject matter. We'll be, I'll be going to New York this week, so you can catch my show in New York City on WBAI 99.5 on the FM dial if you're in the city or at www.wbai.org. You can stream the show. And, of course, we'll post it on Facebook down there as well. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.